Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's all now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, a tremendous college player, played in the Final Four at Kansas, uh, transitioned into a great college coaching career, has had some time as a G League head coach and an NBA assistant, a terrific left-handed shooter, maybe second best left-handed shooter behind Chris Mullen that I can remember when I was growing up watching. Uh, I want to get his thoughts on that. Rex Walters. Rex, thanks for joining. Dan, thank you. And, and yeah, I, I would definitely take Chris. There's probably a few other lefties I would take over me as well. But I appreciate the compliments. Very kind of you. <laughs> well, absolutely. I, I mean, you were a part of that Kansas group when I was a kid. I finally you know, started getting into college basketball. I remember you and that Roy Williams team getting to the Final Four. So then besides Chris Mullen, you got to give me who the other best left-handed shooters were then. I don't know all the lefties to be to be honest with you. Chris Chris was a phenomenal. I mean, I, I remember going to Mountain Mike's on Mondays for the big Mondays, St. John's versus Georgetown. I was a big Chris Mullen fan, and and so he 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 sets the bar very high. I had a good college career, put up some pretty good numbers, got got to the league just like you, and 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 was had a great agent. Mark Bartlestein uh, ended up being my final agent, and he got me a. Uh, Got me about seven years. I got seven years, but I got about 10 years worth of contracts. That's how good of an agent Mark Bartlestein is. <laughs> he is the best. And I will say this. I have not signed any retirement papers. So if somehow he can get me signed and get me a trade, I'm willing and I'm open. I'll pass a physical tomorrow for anybody. I knew there was something I liked about you, Dan, because I've never officially retired either. When when I when I, I Mark called me, it's funny. He called me. I was in living in uh, Overland Park, Kansas. He called me. He's like, I can't get you into a camp. Like you'd be an eight year veteran minimum. And I said, that's fine. I'm done. And then the uh, you know one of his secretaries called me. Hey, we want to send you the paperwork for your time. I said, like, No, I'm not signing it. I'm not retiring yet. I <laughs> I'm still <laughs> holding on. You never know. So <laughs> that's exactly how I was. It, it was even a few years back when I was still playing pickup with the Gonzaga guys and Coach Few. I think I was like 35 at the time. I hadn't been on a team in like six years, and, and I was playing really well against the guys. I'm not going to name names, but you know it's that old man IQ. It's the skill. It's the understanding of things that and just running a team i don't think my team lost the entire night we played pickup coach few pulls me to the side and he says why aren't you still playing i said coach you have to understand 30 year old point guards that are six foot that's the cutoff i made it literally as long as i could he's like well then there's something wrong i was like well if you want them to start making phone calls go for it but i'm done <laughs> yeah yeah well I, it's funny i played last night i played center 
for my my son's high school team. So I'm making all my pick and roll calls. They've never heard a guy talk. You know, high school kids, they don't talk at all. Yeah. So I'm making my middle calls. I'm making my drop calls. I'm telling to pursue, you know, but I'm feeling it today. My, my back is jacked. You know, it was half court. Thank God. I, I told the coach, I'm not playing full. I'll play half court and give you a body. So, and we had some success. So that was fun. Well, that's good. I haven't played in a while with my son. He's a he's a freshman. I understand your your son is a senior. He's got a, a good good career ahead of him. How fun is it for you to be in a gym with your son, just working on the little details that the average dad doesn't know? Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun because he really picks up things like really quickly. Like we we got in, we got in for forty five minutes this morning. We woke up at five forty five, got in the gym by six. I got him out of there six forty five and. You know, we got a lot of makes and it, it, all, all of my workouts are really competitive. So like if we do spot shooting, I was OK, we'll go five spots, but you're going to shoot to your miss, you know, and, and he picks things up. We talk about footwork. We talk about and I keep it simple. Feet, eyes, follow through. Uh, you know, that's that's the big thing for me. But he's a lot of fun to work with. And I've got another one that's a seventh career that's just starting. I actually got to go to his football game at four. So I'm looking forward to watching that. But he, he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun to watch and he's a lot of fun to, to work out with. So you played in the Final Four uh, with Kansas under Roy Williams. I'm sure there was a little bit of uh, maybe sadness or reflection when Roy Williams retired at the end of last season. What were your fondest memories of Roy Williams as your coach? Well, the best memory was we beat Oklahoma. And and so coach, everyone thinks coach is this really, you know, shy, meek, all shucks guy. Well, <laughs> I thought he was the devil. Okay. And, and when he hears this, he'll probably be mad at me, but, but I, you know, he scared the crap out of me and he was hard. He was younger at that time and really driven, but we played Oklahoma and I played about as good a game and he didn't say a whole lot to me. I mean, my first practice at Kansas, I scored about 16 in the scrimmage and he just looked at me and said, Hey, you're never going to play here if you don't play defense. And that was kind of our relationship. He was constantly on me and, and I had a mouth and I liked to talk and all that stuff. And, but after the Oklahoma game, you said to me, Rex, that's as good a, a basketball game as I've seen. And that, that, that really was like, wow, like he's, he's giving me a compliment and it really made me feel good getting to the final four, you know, beating Indiana, and I remember, you know, he pulled because I wasn't having a great game and I was playing really good up until then. And he said, Rex, you know, I just want you to relax because sometimes you can want something so bad you can squeeze the life out of it. And that really helped me. I mean, he was great at that. He was great at like in a tight game, getting us to relax. And he was the best at like, OK, it's we're three minutes left to go. Anthony Peeler's got 40. Like I'm getting blistered and then I'll get in the timeout and he says, guys. We're down three. Isn't this fun? <laughs> like, we're like, what? No, no, it's not fun. It's not. We need to win this game. But but it got us to laugh. And that was the great thing about Coach Williams that I really enjoyed. It, it, it really, you know, he was all that I needed at that time in my life. So when he did finally retire, when he left Kansas, I, you know, I was really happy for him. But it changed Kansas for me and nothing against Bill Self. He's a great coach. But then when he retired as well, it's like you're losing a legend. I think kids don't understand the impact that he that we're going to miss. Like he remembers all of my kids names like Gunner went to the camp in Carolina. He remembered them, spent time with them, watched them like just a really good man uh, and obviously a great coach as well. Well, I know I stumped you with the left handed shooter question. You kind of in a circle back way you answered it. Anthony Peeler was a pretty good shooter as a lefty uh, in that same era. You spent quite a bit of time in the NBA. You were at the heyday of my favorite player of all time. I don't know if it would be yours because you had to face him. 
What was it like going against Michael Jordan at his peak? Wow. So I got him when he was still 45, and he had just dropped the double nickel on the Knicks about a week, maybe two weeks before they played the Nets. And I was starting. Kevin Edwards was hurt. I'm starting. The press is coming up to me like, hey, uh, do you feel like the lamb before the slaughter? And I'm like, hey, man, I'm just going to play basketball and see what happens. <laughs> and I just remember walking on the court. You know, I, I give him the pound, and I just, you know, just kind of look at him. Don't say a word. You don't say a word to Mike. You don't get him started. But uh, it was it was phenomenal because as a Kansas guy and Coach Williams would always talk about Mike. He would always talk about just his competitiveness, his toughness, how intelligent he was. He was all the things that you and I probably wanted to be as a basketball player. But, you know, I had some physical limitations. I'm not going to quote on you. But so that was like the epitome. And I had a really good game. I had 13 in the first half. I held him to seven. I held him to seven by like acting like I was going to hit his arm, his elbow every time he shot. That was a trick I picked up. Like, hey, I can't block it, but I'm going to put my hand right up against his elbow. So when he shoots it, he's, he's going to be complaining about the elbow touch. And I pull my hand back. Well, he figured that when I had 28 in the second half, he finished the game with 35. He holds, he holds me to four and, you know, he blocks my shot. He puts me on a poster because he grabs me on an inbounds play and gets a dunk. And he's, he's, he's landing on top of me. But that was the epitome. And, and I got to meet him years later. And he was uh, just a great, great guy as well. So it was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, my my experience was my rookie year was his last year. And I, I was a player who I was smaller, but I was I, I was able to get to the NBA because I didn't back down from any challenge. I was never scared of another player, but I walked onto the court and I had to do a triple take. Like, oh my <laughs> God, I'm I'm playing Michael Jordan for the first time. It was almost surreal. No, and he's got a presence. And I and I've seen LeBron and I've coached against LeBron. But I'll tell you what, there was an, ele an electricity in the building every time he came to a different city. Like every time I was in New Jersey, when I was in Philly, like the, it was just different. And LeBron has that effect to a certain extent, but not the same to me as Mike. Now, maybe I'm just one of those old grumpy guys, but but really, like it was always just amazing. He has a presence about it. I remember seeing him on the road when I was recruiting his son played. And all of a sudden, everyone was at the game to watch him sit on the sidelines. That's what, how Michael was. And, it, it, you know, obviously a great, great player and ended up, uh, shoot, if you ever watched The Last Dance, like I could watch that thing three times already because he still yeah. inspires me. Yeah, it, it is great. I agree with you on that. You mentioned Philly. Uh, tremendous sports town. I always used to enjoy going there and playing. The only problem for me is I had to guard or not guard, try to guard Allen Iverson. And that was not fun, but you see Ben Simmons. I can't get for the life of me, how a professional player doesn't want the challenge to go back and try to make things right or play and compete. And I don't want to, you know, lead you down a, a negative path on another player. Cause that's not my intent, but yeah. How difficult is that for you maybe to see like guys don't step up and take the challenge? Well, I, I think the one thing with Ben that's a little different, I, I feel like he's been slighted uh, by Doc a little bit. And, and Doc's a great coach, but the perception is that he was afraid of the moment. And every, not every, but a lot of players and great players have a bad series. And that's exactly what he had. He had an awful series for him and the expectations for him. Um, I, I would love to see him go back. It doesn't sound like it's going to happen that way. But I feel like he is, he feels slighted by the people that are supposed to have his back. And I'm not saying he's right in saying that, but that's how he feels. And in our, in our society now, it's 
not, you know, facts aren't as important as feelings sometimes. So I think that's why he's going that route. But Philly's a tough crowd, tough crowd. I played there for two and a half years. I'll say this, though. If he does go back, which probably won't happen, and he just leaves it all out on the floor, that's the only thing Philly, but Philadelphia cares about. And that's why they loved Allen, you know, Allen Iris and the guy you guarded and guy I played with. They just they loved Charles Barkley. They love guys that leave it on the floor, win, lose, or draw, because they haven't had a lot of championships in Philly. But if you do that for them, you are forever part of Philly. So I had to go back and, and look online about your timeline as a coach for some different things. And I'll talk about and ask some of your coaching experience in a second. But I came across something and it reminded me you were in the movie Blue Chips. <laughs> how yeah. was that? And how did that come about? Oh, that was 1993. We were in Phoenix. Back then they had the thing called the Desert Classic. And all the agents are trying to, you know, maneuver themselves. And when you go to Kansas, you know, it was usually going to be David Falk, Lee Fentress, but Mark Bartelstein had kind of got himself in the equation as well. Well, the agents that were talking to me, the other two were like, hey, one of them, I forget which one says, hey, if, if you come with us, we're going to get you in this movie. We're going to have, you're going to have a chance to read for the part of Ricky Rowe. So, you know, I, I didn't commit to anybody. I did get a reading. I didn't get the part and I didn't go with the agent. So either I'm a really bad agent, a really bad actor, or the agent was true. He could have got me in the movie. Uh, Matt Nover got it. It's a great movie. It was a great time. It was a great experience. I haven't received any royalties lately. So that reminds me to send an email out to the <laughs> Actors Guild because I could use a little money right now since I'm not with the Pels anymore. But uh, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that that's uh, that brought me back because I, I remember watching that movie growing up. It was uh, Shaq and Penny, uh, and then uh, I believe it was Nick Nolte as the head coach. That that was fun to watch. So you go from playing, and a lot of guys kind of make a decision broadcasting or coaching, rightfully so, because they want to stay close to what they've loved their whole life. You got into coaching. You coached at a number of different levels at, at the minor leagues. Um, and then you were a coach at Valpo with Homer Drew for some time. You get your chance as a head coach at USF. Before then, you get to USF, University of San Francisco, which is where you and I had a chance to talk on a number of occasions preparing for broadcasts. Did you always want to get into coaching? How did that career path grow for you? Yeah, I, I didn't know if I was going to be an NBA player. A lot like you, I, was, I think I, I consider myself to be tough, hard-nosed, play the right way, can shoot, pass, handle, shoot. But I always wanted to coach. My father was my first coach. It's something that was kind of always in my blood. And I still want to do it. Like at the end of this year, I'll see if there's any jobs that are right fit for me and my family. But got really lucky. I coached one year high school basketball. Then I got to Valpo basically through Bryce Drew. Bryce, I called Bryce when Scott went to Baylor. Uh, Homer uh, at the time had an opening because Scott had left. Homer took over and that got my foot in the door. Learned a lot from him. Then I went to FAU and worked for a guy named Matt Doherty, who's still like a brother to me. Uh, coached at North Carolina, coached at Notre Dame, coached at FAU for two years. And then I got a chance to go to San Francisco. And I know you had Jeff Lender on the on the show. You know, Jeff was like, whatever you do, Rex, do not take that job. Don't do it. <laughs> and Because he was going to come with me to FAU and, and really try to get that thing going. And I was like, gosh, it's home. Um, you know, I, I could I could be home. I could be close to my family. My, my mother was going through a lot of stuff at the time. And, and I took the job. It was a very difficult job, but it was a great experience. I learned a lot from it and then got a chance to work for Stan Van Gundy in the G League uh, with the uh, Grand Rapids Drive. Then I worked for him in Detroit. 
And then I got a year uh, with uh, Wake Forest. I worked for uh, Eric Musselman at Nevada and uh, worked for Danny Manning at Wake Forest. And I went back to New Orleans last year uh, to work for Stan again. So I've been really blessed uh, with coaching, but I knew that's what I always wanted to do. Going back to your time at, at San Francisco, I loved when you would bring your team into Gonzaga and I called a number of those games. And, and I'll just be 100% honest with, with you on this one. Oh, I would talk to opposing coaches and a lot of them would be like, they would tell me the information that I need to do the broadcast, but they would also kind of answer questions in a way that they knew they were going to lose. But your conversations were so refreshing because you came in with a ton of confidence and you had a conviction if we do this, this, and this, we have a chance to win. And then you would go out that night and you'd coach with a passion like you believed in your guys. Um, I love that. I think you maybe rubbed a few Gonzaga fans in the crowd wrong on, at times, but you seem to really enjoy coaching in that environment. Share us a little bit about those experiences. Well, you know, the, the biggest thing for me was if I don't believe it, my, there's no way my players could. And I knew we weren't going to out-talent Gonzaga, and I knew that they were very well coached. Mark does a great job. His assistants do a great job. But my whole thing is we want to be a, the toughest team we can be. We want to be together, and we want to keep getting smarter. Um, I never beat Gonzaga on a recruit, and I never beat them in Gonzaga. I never beat them in Spokane. But uh, we did have some success. At our place, we beat them three years in a row. Uh, some great teams. I think about those teams when they got pros like Robert Sacker and Elias Harris. I think Kelly Olnick was was uh, sitting out. That's how good they were. I watched Kelly play the other day with Detroit. He's really, really good. I'm thinking to myself, we were guarding that guy with a 6'6 guy. Okay, this is a guy that's 6'10, 6'11, shoots threes, handles it, great and dribble handoffs. But I just wanted to figure a way. And for us with Gonzaga, it was always, hey, we got to pick one guy that we're not going to guard. We can't match up five on five against them. There's one guy that we're just not going to guard and we're going to try to get into his head. And I always felt like that gave us a little bit of a chance um, to have some success. We didn't have as much success, of course, at your place that Gonzaga, it, you know, and it's gone crazy since then, uh, since my time at San Francisco, but they truly understand. I think from the top down, from the president, to the athletic director, to their coach, you know, athletic department, to their coach. That's why Gonzaga is what it is. And I thought I could overcome some of that stuff and, and have a chance. We finished, uh, you know, twice, second twice. We won 20 games, two years, uh, two years out of my eight, which hadn't been done in 20 something years. So I'm really proud of what we did. I learned a lot from it. Um, but, you know, that's why you coach. You coach for that type of environment. I love being the bad guy. I don't mind being the bad guy. And I thought I gave my players some confidence because I was not afraid to leave it all out there. Maybe even talk a little bit of trash to get my guys to believe in themselves and believe in what we were doing. Yeah. You, you've spent a number of years coaching at different levels in, in college. You spent some time head coaching the G League as well as an assistant in the NBA. I don't think the average fan truly understands how good the G League is now. I played in the G League about a 20-game stretch trying to resurrect my career and get a call-up. Um, but the average fan and even the average college player who's a borderline prospect thinks, oh, I'm just going to, you know, if I don't get drafted, I'm going to go play in the G League and get called up. That's not the case because it's really good basketball. What was your experience like in regards to that? 
Absolutely. I had Jordan Crawford. Uh, he was just a, a walking bucket. His last NBA game before he finally got a call up two years later was a 40 in Golden State. Like he, he could really, really play. Kevin Murphy was a really good player. We had Ray McCallum, who was a great guard. We had Lorenzo Brown. All those guys are on the cusp of being NBA players. And any guy, any one of those four guys would have been the best player on any one of my San Francisco teams, any one of my FAU teams and maybe even some of our KU teams, if I wasn't playing, like they were that good. Uh, I, I've talked to NBA coach and I said, why don't you ever think about the NBA? And I just remember one coach saying, yeah, the players just aren't good enough. Like they just don't want to coach college because the players aren't, that's how good the G league is. And the NBA is those guys are so talented. I mean, you were a great, great college player played in the NBA. When you go back, I mean, I used to go back to Kansas. I, you know, we were talking before you we were talking about when you went back to Gonzaga and played, like it's a different game. When you play at the, we play against the very best in the world, even in the G League. So, I loved it. If you get a guy an open shot in that league, it's a bucket, and that's a lot of fun for a coach when the ball goes through the net when you call a good play. Yeah, I've coached my son in AAU, and when we come out of timeouts and I draw something up and we get a good look and it goes in, I like to think that it was because of me. It might be <laughs> a small piece, but it really it's it's the player making the shot. What was the biggest adjustment for you going from player to coach? Because that is a hard transition to know you're done playing. It was a hard transition. You know, when I, when I finally retired, it's funny, my wife was in tears when I finally said, I didn't retire. I finally said, I'm not, I'm not playing anymore. I never retired a lot like you, but, but uh, it was difficult. And, and quite honestly, I probably should have paid my dues more as an assistant coach. I only I was only assistant coach for three years before I got the head job at FAU. And I still had a lot of player in me. And a lot of times I was still probably the best player on my team, but I had no more eligibility. So when that happens, you expect them to understand the things that you expect. You expect them to be able to do the things that you know you can still do. So at some, at some points it got frustrating for me. And obviously it frustrated the players because I was so hell bent on getting them to do stuff that maybe they weren't ready for just then. Um, so that took a while for me to finally, like at 51, I finally feel like I'm calm enough and composed enough that I could actually get the message across without insulting them or making them feel bad about themselves. Cause at times, especially at San Francisco and at FAU, I did, I made guys feel bad about themselves because they didn't have the work ethic that I had, didn't have the work ethic that I thought that they should have. And it, it, sometimes crush some kids, which is one of my regrets because that's never the intent that you want as a coach. So I think that's another reason why I want to coach again. What would you prefer? Would you prefer the college game or would you prefer the NBA when your next opportunity that comes up that's right for you and your family? Well, I, I, I just want to be a head coach again. Quite, I worked for Stan Van Gundy. It was the best thing that ever happened to me, quite honestly, was getting fired at San Francisco because then I got this coach in the G League and I got to coach great players. And, and what works in college does not work in the NBA. You can't talk to the players in, in the NBA the way you talk to them in college. So it, it made me become a better teacher, a, a better like person in terms of relating to them and getting them to do the things. That, and then coaching in the NBA for Stan, just learning technique, pick and roll coverages, which I, we were never a great defensive team. My San Francisco teams were never great defensive teams. So it really got me better in terms of being a teacher, understanding how to really defend on defend the basketball, protect the rim, protect the paint, close out and the technique of that. So that's why I would be excited. You know, I'm doing some media stuff too. I'm trying to get involved with some media stuff, but that's why I still have an interest 
at some at some point being a, a head coach again. Awesome. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. The detail that goes into coaching at the NBA level uh, is mind boggling to the average fan. It, it truly is. It's like every day you go and you get a doctorate in, in basketball when you go to an NBA practice or if you go through a whole year, uh, the amount of information is is overload for the average fan. So. Rex, I appreciate you joining. It's been nice to talk on a few other topics than uh, asking you about the current team in a broadcast that I would be having. But appreciate the time. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. And uh, hopefully at some point, if you are in the college game again, I can get those easy scouting reports from you. Well, you were always really fair. Now, your partner, you know me, I'm crazy. Your partner, I, I didn't want to let him in the gym. I liked you, Dan. I'd let you because I knew you were a player. But I appreciate that. It means a lot. And thanks for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun talking with you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.